Hi everyone, welcome to Stats with Crayons, a podcast where we talk about statistics, oral health, and everything in between. My name is Alonso Carrasco Laura from the Center for Integrated Global Oral Health at Penn Dental Medicine. Our guest today is Olivia Urquhart, and we will be discussing issues related to confidence intervals. Thank you very much, Olivia, for joining us today. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Alonzo. Hi, everyone. My name is Olivia Urquhart. I'm faculty at the Center for Integrative Global Oral Health at Penn Dental Medicine with Alonzo. I'm an epidemiologist by training, and also I have a great interest in biostats. So I'm happy to be here today to talk to you all about that. Thank you for joining us, Olivia. We're excited to have you here. As I mentioned, today we're going to talk about the concept of confidence intervals. Probably you have seen our videos on this topic before, where Hera and Hans discuss this issue extensively. If you have not seen our video yet, I recommend you check it out, because this podcast relates directly to that video. We're expanding on some of the concepts now. You can find a link to the show in the description. You have told me before, Olivia, that confidence intervals are always something that statistician and the, in general the community is advocating for increased reporting, they are necessary, some are even postulating that we don't even need p-values, only confidence intervals, that we rarely see them. So on this issue, what are the typical misconceptions or misguided assumptions that you have seen as you encounter as a statistician working with research teams with regards to, this, to these confidence intervals? Thanks, Alonzo. That's a great question. Probably the number one thing that I see when I read research articles is that you look at the tables, you look at the results, and you'll sometimes just see p-values without people reporting the accompanying confidence intervals. Like you just mentioned, there are some people advocating for getting rid of p-values altogether. And as you learned in the video, confidence intervals are much more informative for decision-making or healthcare decision-making than p-values are because they give us a range of plausible values. And again, we use statistics because we want to make inferences about populations. So there's always going to be some uncertainty around the results that we obtain from studies. So confidence intervals really help us capture that uncertainty, whereas p-values will just tell us whether or not our results were statistically significant or not, which is not very helpful when we want to actually use that information to talk to a patient or inform the public about whether a certain, say, healthcare intervention actually works or not. There's another thing that I would like to point out about confidence intervals, and that is that every time we see a result reported in a paper, a research article that is based off of what we call a statistical model, there are a lot of assumptions that are made when these models are constructed or, or data are analyzed. And one of the biggest assumptions is that the study was conducted based off of appropriate methodological standards. What we mean with appropriate methodological standards is that the researchers took the care to conduct their study that is free from what we call bias or systematic error which if you watch our video on bias and random error, you'll learn that in order to reduce bias, we need to make sure our studies are conducted in a way that ensures that the result that we get is as close to the truth as possible or what we would expect in the population. So Olivia, I've noticed that confidence intervals are always accompanied by a percentage. And we often report 99% confidence intervals, 95% confidence intervals. Sometimes it's a 90% confidence interval, right? So what is this percentage about? What does it mean to us? 
That's a great question. So oftentimes we see 95%, but like you said, you may see other percents, 99, 91. You really can pick yeah, any yeah, number. Exactly, exactly. But what this really means to us, if you see, say, a 95% confidence interval, it means that 95% of all possible samples can be expected to include the true population parameter. So what this implies is that if I conducted my study 100 times, 95% of those confidence intervals we would expect to contain the true population parameter or the truth, or what we would expect to see if we measured every single person in our population. Now, this percentage, this 95%, or if we chose 99%, this is set by the researcher, meaning that I could decide I want to be more confident in this interval that I obtain, and that's fine. I can choose 99%, but this does not come without some drawbacks. The most informative confidence intervals are ones that are narrow, meaning that the two numbers at the end of the interval are as close together as possible, meaning that the narrower confidence intervals, the more precise we are in the results that we obtain. Whereas if the researcher chose a smaller confidence percentage, say 90%, their confidence interval will be narrower, and that's what we like, that's what we want to see, but they're going to be less confident. So it's kind of a balance. But like I said, most time you'll see when you're reading papers, people will choose a 95% confidence interval, and it's... That's a convention. Co convention, kind of, yeah. You said, we want narrow confidence interval. So... I would like to bring you now to the practical aspect of it. What is the application of a confidence interval on a daily basis? What, why this is something that clinicians and patients should care about? Let's start with an example like we always do because I think that helps put things into context a bit. So say we're interest, a clinician is interested, they have a patient in front of them, say in a dental chair, and their patient wants to know if they should go to the store and buy an electric toothbrush or they should go to the store and buy a regular what we call a manual toothbrush. And you want to inform your decision or your recommendation to them based off of some research. So you find a study and, and that study reports a result saying that people who use electric toothbrushes are, let's say, 50% less likely to get cavities. So you decide that you're going to take that result and tell your patient they should go and buy an electric toothbrush. Now, if you don't look at the confidence interval reported or the study doesn't report a confidence interval, you don't know the uncertainty around that 50% reduction in cavities that you just told your patient and that they should go get an electric toothbrush. It may turn out that the sample size in that particular study was so small that in actuality, we don't know if that electric toothbrush in that study actually reduces cavities by 50% or increases your cavities by 200%. Without a confidence interval, we don't know if that number that's reported in that say that one result we don't know the uncertainty around it. So it sounds to me that it's helping the interpretation of the results, right? So in a way, allow us to bring the results into context and it really help us to determine whether all this uncertainty is reflected and now I account for it in my decision-making process. Absolutely, and sometimes for some healthcare decisions, there will be a lot of options available to a clinician to recommend to their patient. For example, again, along the lines of sitting in a dental chair, your patient may ask you which toothpaste they should use with their toothbrush. You just told them to use an electric toothbrush. So which toothpaste should they use to help prevent cavities, as most people are concerned about cavities when they go visit the dentist? You know that when they walk into CVS or Walgreens that there will be at least 10 to 15 options of toothpaste available to them to choose from. And you decide that you want to make sure that your recommendation to them is informed by some sort of evidence, some sort of research. So you, you find 10 different studies, each with different types of toothpaste, and you find that all the toothpaste work pretty well. You look at the conclusion of the research article, because that's where we all go, right? You go to the conclusion, you find that all the toothpaste work pretty well. 
But if you look a little deeper, you go to the results sections of each of these studies, and you find that the researchers report confidence intervals around these estimates of how much does a toothpaste help reduce cavities. And you find that, in actuality, more than half of those confidence intervals suggest that some of them may actually reduce cavities by a lot. But when you look at the other side of the confidence interval, some of those toothpastes actually increase <laughs> cavities. And you don't want to be telling your patients that they might be buying toothpaste that will actually increase their cavities. They don't want to hear that. So you decide to suggest those toothpastes where the confidence intervals that they report around you know, how much this, these toothpastes reduce cavities you decide to choose the ones where both sides of those confidence intervals suggest that that toothpaste will reduce their cavities and there's no chance that it'll actually increase their cavities. So as you can see from a practical perspective, confidence intervals are very useful when healthcare professionals are making recommendations to their patients about what we know and how certain we are about whether different things like toothpaste actually work. I see. And that width of that confidence interval, you talk about how narrow, how wide they are. What is that related to? So going back to our video on random error, the width of our confidence interval is actually related to sample size. So we can reduce random error by increasing our sample size. We can reduce the width of our confidence interval by increasing our sample size. So sample size is really the key to helping us make better informed decisions. Again, assuming that the study was conducted appropriately, aka the research is reduced bias as much I think as that disclosure is very important. I, I hear you saying that several times. I think it's a very important disclosure that we're assuming that everything else was done according to the best standards exactly. that we know at the moment. Exactly. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Olivia, for joining us today on this very interesting topic of confidence intervals. For more bite-sized conversations about statistics and healthcare, Check our other episodes on Apple Music and Spotify. Companion videos to our podcast can be found on our website or on our YouTube channel. Links to these can be found in the episode description as well. Find us on social media. We would love to hear from you. See you next time on Stats with Crayons.